Jurassic Views is an independent podcast produced and co-hosted by Zaya Quiena and Bryce Diamond. Special thanks goes out to the artists who elevate Jurassic Views. To Dana Smart and John Corbin, thank you for your gifts and for your genius. Thanks also to you, the listeners. This podcast wouldn't be as fun without your eager ears and your support. Good morning, everyone. Jurassic Views, Bryce Diamond. On a big week, guest week, four guests are joining Jurassic Views in a series I'm calling For the People, By the People. We've released part one with Bren Duvel, my friend, neighbor, who's a Boston Celtics fan, talked about his Celtic pride, his love for Kobe Bryant. Uh, it got personal. It got um, intimate, you might say, talking about uh, Kobe, his passing. Great interview, great conversation, really enjoyed it. And part two is today. We are releasing part two with Michelle Bailey. Now, a very different character from Brandon, to say the least, but a different character from most of our guests on Jurassic Views. Uh, Zai and I uh, obviously have a lot of thunder, a lot of excitement. Sometimes Zaya can get cerebral, subdued, and you know think through the strategies of the game. But really, that's just him trying to restrain all the energy, excitement, and thoughts that he's got going on, where I don't have that same kind of filter when I talk about the Raptors. Uh, I'm either laughing really loud, or, I mean, you've all heard me. You know, you know what you're getting when you get me. <laughs> but Michelle Bailey's a different character, maybe closer to our guest Courtney Wright, who is a fabulous guest on the show. And if you haven't listened to Courtney's interview with me, please do. Uh, Courtney was was wonderful to have on the show. But Michelle Bailey, similar, but even more kind of reserved, calculated, uh, you know, cerebral, as I've said many times in setting up the episode. And just a very thoughtful person, prepared, much different <laughs> than my interview, my my conversation with Brandon, and really most of Jurassic View's episodes. And that's okay. It's great to have a mix of people. Michelle was an absolute delight to have on the show. The first time I met Michelle, I believe I was watching a 2018 playoff game. Round one, it was either game one or game two of the 2018 series against the Washington Wizards. We ended up winning the game and Zaya had invited Michelle over and after about the first six minutes, I was wondering if she was gonna make it to halftime. First of all, if you think Zaya and I get excited, if you think we get fired up, talking on Jurassic Views, that is nothing compared watch a game. To be in the same room with us can be daunting, intimidating, really a little much. And friends of ours, like Chad Cecil, who I love dearly, who's also been a guest on Jurassic Views, has needed breaks, not just during the game, but during the season <laughs> from Zaya and I and watching games with us. And when Michelle was watching the game with us in my house, I was really nervous that we were being way too much for her. But she stayed in there, and I realized as time went on, she's just a different character. She just expresses herself differently, but the passion for the Toronto Raptors, her investment 
into the franchise and into games is just as high. She's just expressing it much differently. And I really appreciated having her on the show to share what her relationship with the Toronto Raptors has been, the high moments, the low moments, the complicated moments, and also get into talking about this absolute golden era of Canadian basketball. 21 players in the NBA, players from really all across Canada, many of whom come from Montreal or Toronto or the Golden Horseshoe in Ontario, but there's just a lot of guys in the league. And we talked about days gone by, you know, guys like Steve Nash in the league, um, but also just being so impressed with where we're at right now and how difficult it would be for Coach Nick Nurse who's the coach of the Canadian national team as well as the Raptors, to have to choose a starting five, to have to choose 12 guys because there's so much talent in the league from Canada. And there's guys who are veteran international players who play in Greece, who play in Turkey, who play overseas and really know the international game, really know the FIBA rules well. And don't have to make those adjustments. So just an incredible conversation. Uh, I really hope you enjoy it as well uh, as Brandon's conversation. I enjoyed it a ton. So cheers to you as you listen to this episode with Michelle Bailey and I. Part two of our For the People, By the People series this week. Yeah, I'm like Neo now. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. That's Morpheus. So this morning on Jurassic Views, I have a friend to the pod, friend to Zion and I, a fellow Raptors fan, thank goodness, after talking about the Celtics for a while there with, with Brandon, uh, Michelle Bailey, who I have not seen since the pandemic. So there's so much we could talk about uh, this morning. But Michelle, how are you doing? How are you doing uh, within this kind of stage or chapter of the pandemic? Hey, Bryce, it's good to be here. Uh, you know, I, I'm doing okay. You know, the, the, the pandemic has really been a bit of a roller coaster um, in terms of, you know, thinking we're on the other side of it and then something popping up. And obviously with this new variant, there's, you know, some questions and concerns about what does that mean moving forward. But I think, you know, being a year and a half into it, um, yeah you know, fell into a bit of a groove now in, in living, living in this pandemic and just hoping that, you know, we can continue to have, you know, more social, social interactions um, coming into the, the winter and, and holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's hope that, you know, we can, we can have some good moments this Christmas because last Christmas was a bit, a bit lonely, a, dis, a bit disconnected. Um, the last time I think we hung out, the Raptors were in the NBA finals and that seems like forever ago. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think it's, it, it's great to be able to, to look back, especially uh, with the Tampa season last year. And, and now with this new era, really um, to be able to go back into our fandom, which is, you know, a, a pastime of mine and Zaya's, but, so I'm glad that that you've come in and, and are willing to do this <laughs> on Jurassic News. Uh, Michelle, tell me your first Raptors memory, if you can go back that far. Yeah, it, it's a good question. And, you know, I, I'm not sure that I can actually put a point on like my my first ever memory, but I remember my first vivid 
kind of Raptors uh, memory. And that was game seven of the 2001 Eastern Conference semifinals, mm-hmm. Raptors versus 76ers. Yeah. Um, you know, the the final shot, Vince taking the three, missing, um, and all the fallout of, of that, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I remember I was watching that in the basement of my parents' Um, home. I distinctly remember like being there, watching the TV, the emotion of that game. It was a, you know, pretty close game. Raptors were, were down for most of it, but keeping it tight. And um, yeah, it was just, you know, very, very high energy, high stress game. Um, but yeah, that's probably my first, you know, super vivid memory that I have of the Raptors, but I was, you know, a fan that season. Um yeah. But just that one sticks out in my mind. Okay. Now, would you say you're an OG? Are you a 95 to infinity kind of fan? Were you there in those days as well? No, no. I am, you know, a product of uh, the Vince Carter era. Um, So I, you know, I think it was his slam dunk um, appearance that really attracted me to um, to, you know, even the sport, I would say, um, I, I wasn't necessarily really into basketballs per se prior to that. And just seeing, you know, the highlights of, uh, of that, um, of, of his dunks there and, you know, how electric he was, um, and the fact that he was from Toronto, you know, from like a Canadian team, um, really piqued my interest and and that's really what got me started watching so I think really that like 2000 2001 season was probably the first season I really started following the team okay respect uh, I had uh, another buddy Zion I got to uh, have another buddy on the show Chris Jackson who uh, we talked about the, the kind of greatest players uh, since 96, because of course the NBA had, has, is having their 75th anniversary and they added uh, 25 players to the 50, the first 50 that they did in 96. And one of the things we talked about specifically around Vince Carter, but in the league in general, was how important dunk contests were. And if you're not really an NBA fan, how you don't understand how important that is to the culture. So that's a good reminder for, for, for us, how important that is. Cause that was your, your kind of conception as a fan, I guess. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think, you know, uh, there were a lot of, um, I think a lot, he obviously, you know, kind of became a star coming out of that, right? Like he started getting, global attention um and I think that definitely obviously kind of bled into the Canadian market as well and you know Mm -hmm. I think I'm I'm one of a number of people that really started um following kind of coming out of uh, of that performance yeah most definitely there was a lot of pride that night as a kid who grew up in the GTA who was playing basketball uh, competitively there was a lot of pride when not just you know, he wins it and we're going crazy because we're so excited for this Toronto Raptor. But there was a lot of pride because you could see the reaction of like the superstars, Shaq and KG. Oh, yeah. And, right. It, yeah. Was, uh, it was pretty massive. Uh, speaking of iconic moments in Toronto Raptors franchise history, it's hard not to talk about the shot because... Uh, you know, so many in in the NBA landscape, but of course, globally, who weren't even interested in basketball, know about Kawhi's bounce shot. Wh- where were you when Kawhi was squatting on the side of the court, watching, hoping, believing that that ball would go into the net? I love this question because it ties so well into my mem- my first, you know, yeah. Raptors memory. So obviously the shot game seven against the 76ers. I was also in my parents' basement um, <laughs> watching, <laughs> watching the shot. And the reason why I don't always go over to my parents' basement to ra- watch Raptors games these days, but the reason why I was over there, I don't know if people will recall, but um it was a Sunday night and uh, 
Game of Thrones final season was airing. <laughs> and that night was the second to last Game of Thrones episode um, of the season of the of the series. Um, and my parents have HBO. So I was over there because I wanted to be able to watch Game of Thrones live. But also then <laughs> nice. Game 7 was being played at the same time. So it, yeah, it, it really ties well into my uh, my first memory. But um, I will say, though, the uh, the Raptors game was much more satisfying than the Game of Thrones episode. I've heard that before. I've definitely heard that before. Um, did you have to go back and forth with with the with the episode, like commercial break to go into the Raptors game? No, for it actually worked out so well, and you know a reason. You know, I was so excited, obviously, when that shot went in. Um, but I was even more excited because that meant it wasn't going to overtime, and because yeah, that meant right. that I wasn't going to have to be flipping back and forth. So no, the the sequencing worked perfectly. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Um, now, uh, there's a lot of folks, uh, even on this pod, we have, have have talked about this, that as great a moment and as great a run that Kawhi gave us, uh, he was never really like a true for life Raptors guy. Like if he retires in the Hall of Fame, there's no chance he retires a Toronto Raptor. I just can't see that. Um, but it always, you know, begs the question of, you know, who, who is the most impactful player of all time or who are the top five of all time? And I'm curious, you know, knowing that you've been a fan for now over two decades, which might be a bit, you know, scary to, to think about that you've been, you know, putting this much time and investment into a team. But uh, who would you say is your current favorite Raptor? And then who's your favorite Raptor of all time, too? Yeah. Um... I guess I'll start with current um, and it has to be Fred Van Vliet for sure. Um, you know, one, I, I, you know, I love an underdog story and, you know, from, for him going undrafted, I, you know, his bet on yourself mentality. I, I just really admire his journey um, in the league and, and to see where he's at um, this season, uh, the leadership he's, you know, demonstrating, he's really stepped up in Lowry's absence to, um, to, to be the leader on the team. Um, and I, I just think it, it's so impressive. He's, um, you know, his nickname is Steady Freddy. He's just so calm under pressure. He's able to, you know, hit the shots when, when it really matters. Um, and, you know, I think you're seeing in this season just, you know, what a huge role he's playing on the team. Um, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, I think for sure for me, uh, favorite current Raptor has to be, has to be Fred. Um, all time, I think, you know, it's tricky if you're just looking at it in the context of the Raptors. But, like, for me, it just, it has to be Vince because he's what brought me to the team, right? This is... Right. Um, the reason I'm Your a Raptor, my first love, exactly. Um, and you know, I just when I think back to that to that time, that like 2000 2001 season, you know, it it was like magical, right? You you had yeah. the you had the you know half man half amazing the insanity. He just it was um, it was a really special time to be a fan. Um, and I think, you know, just him as a player, his creativity, you know, his, his explosiveness, just such a dynamic player to watch. You just like couldn't help but, but pay attention when he was playing. Um, but the other reason I, I say Vince, too, is I think just like the legacy that he's had on, on basketball in Toronto and, and in Canada overall, I think, you know, love him or hate him. And I'm sure there's people on both sides of that argument. Um, you know, I think it's hard to deny the fact that he really brought so much attention to the team when he was here. He attracted a lot of fans, not just to the team, but to the sport of basketball. Um, and he really helped to establish the Raptors as a franchise. Um, he put, you know, he put Toronto on, on the international stage with, with the dunk contest and, um, and just kind of his play in the in the years after. Um, and and so, yeah, I think, you know, just that kind of foundational element, obviously there were, you know, 
challenges with how that relationship um, ended with him as a rafter. But I think that, you know, um, if you look kind of overall at, at the impact he had, um, it's, you know, it, it, it's really, really impressive. And I think too, you know, just seeing now the, and we're, I know we're going to talk about it later, but the, the, the number of Canadian players we're seeing in the league, um, I think, you know, it, I, I don't think Vince can take all the credit, but I think, you know, right. he, he's a, a, an ingredient in, you know, the recipe for success that we've seen um, for Canadian basketball. Oh yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Now uh, you had mentioned uh, earlier that, that there's some complications with your first love and like most first loves uh, there's some heartbreak that comes with that relationship. Uh, even if it works out in the end, uh, tell me about some of the complications with, with Vince. Yeah. And it's funny because I think I'm like, um, I think I'm in the minority here of, of Raptors fans because, um, I obviously was devastated when, when Vince left. Um, but I really was <laughs> on team Vince at that point. Um, yeah. and I, I, I think part of this is because when I was, um, a fan back in those days, I was a bit of like, I would call myself a bit of like a solo fan. Like I didn't really have friends that were Raptors fans really back then and yeah. watch the games. Like um, even in my family, my dad would kind of follow it casually. My brother was a, an Iverson fan, so he wasn't nice. cheering for the Raptors. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was, you know, I was um, digesting that, a series of events on my own, right? I was processing them on my own. And, um, you know, for me, I just, I, I, I was upset at the organization. I felt like they, you know, had, had squandered uh, this, you know, um, top tier player um, being in Canada. Like it's so hard to, to get that level of talent on, on your team. Right. And I just felt like, you know, they just weren't providing him the support he needed um, to, to have success. And, you know, he's clearly a quality player that wants to to find success in the playoffs. And um, that just wasn't wasn't happening. So I, that was kind of like my narrative and my processing of, of the situation. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, um, you know, until I kind of met some Raptors fans <laughs> later on that I realized <laughs> that was not how the majority of Raptors fans interpreted, interpreted that situation. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, the complications of, of my relationship kind of as a Raptors fan is once that trade happened, as I said, I was, you know, I was upset and hurt by the organization and I, right. um, right. I, I kind of took a break um, as, yeah. as a Raptors fan and, and the timing was, was, uh, was interesting because, uh, the year he got traded, um, I was going to be turning 16 the following year. And my parents had promised me that for my 16th birthday, they were going to take me to Toronto to see Carter play. Oh, wow. Um, and, and then he got traded. Um, yeah. And so instead, uh, I ended up going to New Jersey to watch, no Vince, play, yeah, to watch Vince play the Raptors. Um, and just to like kind of give you a sense of my mindset as a Raptors fan at that point, I was fully cheering for the Nets at that game. Wow. Um, that's the first ever Raptors game I went to. And um, and yeah, I was, you know, I wanted Carter to win. I wanted the Nets to win. So so that yeah, so there was a period there where I was really, you know, took some distance from the team and um, you know, just just needed a bit of you know, a, bit of a, a bit of a break. But I found my way back. Um, found my way back and, um, and it's been quite, quite the ride. Yeah, most definitely. Um, what was it like to, uh, go down to New Jersey and, and see him live, but not in the ACC? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my first ever NBA game. Wow. Um, yep. Yeah. It, uh, it was, it, I mean, it was so exciting for me to see him live after watching him on TV you know, for, for so many years. Um, uh, and, and then to see him play, the, play the Raptors at the same time, right. was, um, was, was pretty special. Um, it was a great game actually. It, um, ended up going to overtime. Um, 
and the Nets, uh, the Nets ultimately won. Carter scored, I think, like 30 points or something. Yeah. Um, but the, but the highlight definitely for me was I got a high five from Vince as he was leaving for the tunnel. So oh that was goodness. just like for me, you know, at that time, I just, you know, I couldn't have imagined a better, <laughs> better day or, you know, better, better um, 16th birthday present, really. Sheesh. And, and what did you do after the connection was made? What, <laughs> what did you do? What was your reaction? I was in disbelief, honestly, because, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, not to throw shade, but um, some of the other players had like exited and like Jason Kidd didn't acknowledge really the fans at all. No high fives were given. So I wasn't even sure that, you know, I, I was just hoping Vince wasn't going to disappoint me like that and walk right by. Um, so, you know, the fact that, uh, I, that I did get a high five, I was just like, wow. I like, yeah, it was just a moment of, of, yeah, disbelief in that, at that time. Were you, were you wearing a, a Raptors Vince jersey or even a, or a New Jersey Nets Vince Carter jersey? <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely was not wearing any Raptors uh, gear. Um, but I also didn't have any, any Nets gear. So, um, yeah, nothing, nothing to really kind of demonstrate my, uh, admiration for him. Um, but still got, still got the high five. Wow. Respect. Jeez. I, I'm surprised that I had never heard that story, uh, before. Cause like, I would want to be telling everybody about that, but I realized there's controversy and, That's uh, it. <laughs> Even even on this podcast that's only been going for uh, almost a year, actually, we almost have our, our first year anniversary on the pod. Um, you know, we we have uh, resisted forgiving Vince publicly, so we still have some work to do <laughs> with Vince. So I, I can imagine if you know uh, Zaya, you know, a little bit and his his uh, relationship with the team and and with Vince. I could see why you would maybe hold that story back. Uh, what was it that brought you back to the team? It wasn't just the championship because you and I had been watching games before the championship year. What, what was it a player? Was it, uh, you know, time that healed the wounds? What was it that uh, brought this reconciliation between you and the Raptors? Yeah, no, I think time definitely play, played a factor into it. But honestly, um, it was the Raptors community. And so like, I kind of said that um, back when I was first a Raptors fan, I was a bit of like a solo fan, like I didn't really have a community. I didn't know other people in Ottawa that were Raptors fans. Um, and and then I, you know, I moved back to Ottawa in 2012 and I started work and I, I met a couple people that were Raptors fans, which was okay. like such a novelty because I just had never had that before. And um, and yeah, that was really my first experience, like watching games with others, like doing some like, you know, talking some like strategy and like that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, that really kind of got me got me back. I think obviously the um the timing one in terms of like, there had been, you know, some time to heal the wounds, but also the timing in the sense that, you know, um, that, that time period kind of coincided with Masai joining the team and, right. and the turnaround and, um, you know, starting to see some success as a team and, you know, DeRozan and Lowry, um, uh, you know, really coming, we're starting to make the playoffs and then starting to have some playoff success and like, just like it, the team was building slowly, right. To, to something special. And, um, so I think, I think in that sense, the timing also, um, also worked out well. Definitely. Definitely. Now, uh, your current favorite Raptor of all time, Fred Van Vliet, you will get lots of love and affirmation in that choice on this podcast, Jurassic Views, are massive Fred Van Vliet fans. Obviously, Zion and I both played the point guard position, so we always have mad love for anyone who plays the point. Uh, but also, as you said, this underdog story, uh, bet on yourself, five foot ten, even though he's listed at six feet, and and you know what he did in the championship run specifically uh, when his kid was born, Freddie Jr. Uh, in that Buck series, and he turned around his playoffs, and then uh, you know the iconic scream uh, 
uh, in Oracle to close it down and win the championship. Uh, you know, some massive moments then. But we know now, uh, and many have said uh, in the media, on the team, uh, I think Nick has even said, this is Fred's team. He, he has taken over. Lowry has given the keys to Freddie. And I'm, I'm curious, um, are you uh, part of the campaign to get Fred to the All-Star game? Because the guy is playing right at that level, I would say. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think he deserves it, right? I think when you look at his performance, he's he's playing the most minutes of anyone in the NBA right now, right? Like he's he's putting in the work. Um, he he's got the intangibles in terms of leadership. Um, and you know, I think yeah, I think the Raps fans can get behind the campaign. I think um, I think it would. I think he's our best bet right to to get right. to the all-star game and um i would love to see it because i i just think he he deserves it the amount of work he's put in and and how far he's come i think it would just be an amazing accomplishment for him definitely definitely I, i'm not sure how many undrafted players have made the all-star game i know moses malone just because of where the league was in the late 70s uh you know him coming out of high school he wasn't drafted he he has been an all-star but what a story. What a, a way to continue to build this legendary story. Like it will be folklore 10, 15 years from now. You know, the story of Fred Van Vliet. I'm sure there'll be a great documentary uh, that will be put together too. Um, what about your thoughts on maybe the season or, or maybe more specifically this current homestand? Because we have struggled. The Raps have struggled in TO as they're trying to familiarize themselves uh, to the city itself and to the stadium. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, the, the season's been streaky. We've had some, some injury, um, issues as well. And I think, you know, looking at the current homestand, you, you see some of that playing out, um, uh, playing out as well, right? Like we're dealing with a number of our starters being out um yeah. and we had Trent Jr. back the last game but um you know OG and, and Birch are still out um you know I think definitely the first two two games of the of the homestand with Boston and Memphis were um <laughs> were tough losses you know I I will say I, I'm thankful we didn't lose to Memphis by 73 um <laughs> you know we we were in each of those games uh you know Boston, we were keeping up with them up until yep. the fourth, and then we just kind of let it get away from us. Um, and, you know, Memphis was kind of the opposite. We had a really rough start, and we, we battled back in the third. We got it close, but then we just really couldn't maintain that momentum down 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 the down the line. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you know we're you know we're we're such a young team. Um, we're still building our chemistry as a team. You know, I think you know, we, we sometimes lose our composure um, with, you know, with the youth we have. And, and I think you see that particularly when Van Vliet is on, uh, on the bench. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and so I think, you know, those two, those two games, two first games, the losses were, were definitely tough losses because I think they were winnable games if we had kind of kept, kept our composure all the way through. Um, yeah. But there's, you know, I think some lessons to be learned and I think we can be, you know, see some positives in in the fact that we we battled back or or we kept it close um, in those situations. I think with the the Bucks game, which was so you know finally getting a win, um, which was so great. Obviously, you know Giannis being out definitely helped us, but you know the Bucks are still a good team without Giannis, right? Uh, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, so. I think for sure it should be, you know, a confidence boost for the Raps that they were able to hold on to the lead. I mean, it got close there at the end, oh um, but they were able, they were able to hold, hold them off. And I think, you know, I think that type of win is going to be like characteristic of the Raps yes. this season, right? Like just scraping out a win and there was a lot, it wasn't necessarily pretty. And like, we had to contend with, you know, some poor roughing there, um, <laughs> and some injuries, but uh, but we were able, you know, able to scrape that out. I think we're going to see other wins like that, you know, throughout throughout the season. And um, the other thing I think, you know, that that was interesting 
watches watching these games it's like I didn't realize like Scotty could hit the threes and he's you know he's impressed me um the last the last couple games with uh with his perimeter shot definitely yeah I mean he he starts consistently making those and I don't think anyone's gonna get in his way for rookie of the year yeah no exactly um has there been one game that has stood out as more painful than than another game than the other games in in the losses that we've had is there one that just you, you kind of put your head in your hands and <laughs> I mean the one for I have to say is like the the season opener was kind of tough ah, because yes. I remember watching that and <laughs> thinking like oh my gosh like what is what is this season gonna gonna be like right like it was just a really tough tough one to watch um so yeah but I think you know we we went on a bit of a, a win streak and then we're you know you know we are struggling at home like you said which I think is is really problematic but um yeah I just say overall like this season's been been so streaky so hopefully we can get some consistency going we can kind of you know um uh defend home court a little bit better and and kind of get try to get back to 500 i think would be be good yeah i mean if we can get to 500 or even even if we can somehow sneak just a little bit above 500 i think that will seal fred's fate in the all-star game this year i'm hoping i'm hoping that's true uh if, if you're nick nurse or if you're Raptors coaching consultant, Nate Bjorkman, and you're trying to think of ways you can improve, what's one thing that you really feel that the Raptors need to change? And what's one thing they should keep? Yeah, I think um, in, ter- in terms of keep, I think, you know, I love to, I love what they're doing with, uh, with Barnes. Like, I, I love to see them, you know, working on developing his game. And, you know, he's so talented, you can tell he has a work ethic. And I think, um, as I was just mentioning with him shooting the threes, like, I think, giving him opportunities to develop that perimeter game, stretch the floor a bit for us, which I think is, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, a tactic that we can maybe try to, to use a bit more. Um, but also developing his post game, right? Like it's, um, he's a rookie, yeah. so it still takes time to get used to posting up against, you know, NBA players. And so I think, yeah, just keep, you know, keep giving him opportunities, keep giving him the ball, keep, um, you know, encouraging him to, to try different things and, um, can just continue to develop his game. I'm, I'm really impressed <laughs> with him so far this season and, um, yeah, looking forward, as you say, to like seeing what he can do. And I think he is a real contender for, for rookie of the year, um, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, in terms of like <laughs> one thing to change or things that need to change, like obviously I think um, like we need, we need to be better at home. I think we need to, <laughs> we need to be better um, when Van Vliet's off the floor. Like he can't play every minute of the game. We need, we need to be able to maintain our composure a bit when, um, you know, when he's on the bench. I think I'd love to see kind of Siakam step up there a little mm-hmm. bit more. Um, uh, and yeah, I think, you know, just kind of working on ball movement a little bit more and um, kind of trying to get those, those open shots. But um yeah, I mean, like I said, we're a young team. We're a, you know a lot of new faces, so I think it's going to take time, right, to just build that chemistry and um, and that trust between between players. So I, I'm hoping, you know, I'm optimistic. I'm hoping we're gonna we're gonna get there with a few more games under our belt. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it's true. The other day, uh, after the Memphis loss, um, which was a tight one uh, to say the least, uh, but um we didn't get it uh i really i probably went on like a five minute little rant about how we need to have patience not just for pascal siakam as he didn't even really touch a ball for uh the better half of six months but also just you know patience for this team uh in general uh because you know they're they're trying to figure themselves out it's not like you have uh, a core that's been playing with each other 
uh, like they do in Portland or in Golden State. Uh, you know, they haven't even had real long-term success, like even for a full season, like the Phoenix Suns did with, with CP3. So I think you're right. Patience is kind of the, the what we as fans need to embrace, let alone what Masai and, and Nick and the, the team need to uh, embrace. Now, unlike uh, Zai and I, you grew up uh, away from the city of Toronto. And so you had this experience of watching this team, cheering for this team already in another city, um, which is kind of a unique experience, I'm sure, within the NBA landscape. Within Canada, that's you know very common. But what was it like to watch your team have to play out of country for an entire season last year uh, with the Tampa Bay Raptors? <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It was really weird, right? Um... I, I can only imagine for the players what that was like too, right? And it's funny because on the Bucks broadcast, um, Matt made a comment that like really struck me. He was saying that you know there's some players, some some players that have played for Toronto but have never lived in Toronto. So players yeah. who played last season, right? So he was yep. saying that with Rodney Hood. Um, but you know someone like Aaron Baines as well as in that situation. I just think like. That's so strange, right? Like, what a what a unique uh, situation to find yourselves in. I mean, I think given everything that was happening, it, it made sense. Um, I, I understood kind of the necessity for it. But I think, you know, that definitely had to impact um, the player's experience. And just like, you know, I know there were a lot of, you know, Canadian fans or Raptors fans all over the world. And so, yeah. I'm, you know, they, they showed up, but it's, it's definitely not the same um, as being, as being in Toronto. Um, so, I mean, I'm glad that's over. I think, you know, it was the best of a really difficult situation, but, um, but yeah, glad to have them back for sure. Definitely. Uh, earlier this year, we had, uh, a conversation with uh, a TSN anchor, Lindsay Hamilton, who's an old friend of mine from years back. And she talked about doing a broadcast without the Raptors in the city, without them playing for the entire season, um, you know, in, in the city and how, how difficult that was as a, as a broadcaster. She's obviously colleagues and friends with people like Kayla Gray. And she was just saying it was such a strange experience to mm -hmm. go through that season. Now we have them back uh, in Toronto. Um, what's that feeling been like this year to, to be back in Scotiabank Arena and, and to see them with an actual fan base that cares for them and has a history with them? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's so important. Um, I mean, uh, unfortunately, our three and eight home record isn't really <laughs> a story. But, you know, in all seriousness, no, I think, you know, it, it's great for the fans and it's great for the players, right? It's just that energy. Um, I think, you know, Raptor fans are known for that. Um, you know, the level the level of dedication, the level of, of energy that they give at, at home games. Um, so I think, you know, and... and it's only, you know, I think they're only more dedicated now after being, you know, separated from the team for, for a year, you know, a year and a, and a bit. So, um, no, I think, I think it's really important. And, and I think, um, you know, the team's getting settled back right into, into Toronto and, and all, everything we've discussed already about being a new team. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, it, it's really, really important for, for the team and, and for the fans. Definitely, definitely. Now, in this homestand that we are in right now, which is an extended homestand, which is wonderful, um, the Raptors just hosted the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think next week, if I'm not mistaken, they play the OKC Thunder. Um, they've also played Detroit this season. And all these teams have something in common with the Toronto Raptors. They all have multiple Canadians on their team. Uh, I'm not sure that anyone believes Dylan Brooks when he says that Scotiabank Arena is the house that he built. But <laughs> what is it like to watch the NBA 
And to watch starters be Canadians playing, you know, in Toronto and, and just like in the league in general. Yeah, it's it's unreal. Like it, it's it's amazing, honestly, to to see the success that that we've been having. And like I I remember, you know, those early days of me being a fan and you know right. the Canadian players you could count on like one hand, right? right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously Steve Nash was a superstar. Um, but you know, other than that, it just, you know, there wasn't there wasn't, you know, the volume that, you know, we're seeing uh, and the quality that we're seeing um, now. And it like, it's to the point that I can't even like keep up with all the Canadian players. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't, it seems like, you know, every draft there's like one or two guys going in the first couple rounds. And, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to, to the Raptors um, for the mm. development of, um, of, of, basketball in Canada in terms of, you know, building the culture and um, bringing people to the sport and also the support the organization has for grassroots basketball, I think is, um, is really important. Um, I, you know, I think what we're still seeing today in terms of the talent and, you know, there's so much talent coming out is it's still like pretty much, you know, primarily based um, out of out of Toronto, right? So I, what I'd love to see in the coming years is kind of more um, prospects and more players coming from other parts of Canada, right? And um, I've, I've kind of wondered too, if the Grizzlies had stuck around in Vancouver, yeah. a bit of a like BC contingent um, yeah. uh, of players and, um, you know, I, I will say I think Montreal has done a really good job of producing, Definitely. you know, some talent. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see kind of some, you know, some players from other parts of, of the country finding that success as well. Yeah, for sure. Last season, we had 17 players in the league. Uh, this year, another record uh, to, to have back-to-back record seasons with the most amount of Canadian players in the league with 21 this season, the most of any country outside of the United States. Um, you know, it has been building for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously characters like Steve Nash, you had mentioned the impact that Vince Carter has had. Uh, there's no doubt that, that that's true, that he has made a significant um impact i as a as a kid who grew up in toronto watched rj barrett's father rowan uh play high school basketball he was like a demigod of toronto (laughs) high school basketball um when he was growing up um is there a canadian that you follow on one of the other teams is there is there a player that you know you follow even on like social media for instance just to like be connected to another Canadian player in the league? Yeah, no, for sure. I think there, there's some that I, you know, follow, um, you know, maybe not super closely, but definitely like to kind of keep tabs on how they're doing. I think, you know, Andrew Wiggins is one just from the sense that he was the first one. I know Andrew um, Bennett ended up getting, uh, or sorry, Anthony Bennett ended up getting uh, drafted yeah. first overall ahead oh, of him, yeah. but they're like, that kind of came out of nowhere. There had yeah. been, you know, a lot of expectations around um, Andrew Wiggins. And so I knew about him before he got drafted and then, seeing, you know, and there was that speculation, would he, you know, Cleveland had the first pick overall, like yeah. he ended up playing with LeBron, then he gets traded and like all of that. And, um, you know, I think he had, well, you know, he had a bit of a tough, um, tough go of things, but to see him now on, um, on the Warriors um, mm-hmm. is, you know, pretty exciting. Um, to see the success he's finding so um, yeah he's one I think too like I really like Jamal Murray I mean obviously he's out right now um, but you know his play in the bubble was like next level right he um, he was super super exciting to watch especially that series um, against uh, against the Jazz Um, so yeah I I really like his game and um, and RJ Barrett too, like similarly to Wiggins, like he was someone I knew about before he got drafted. I actually got to see him play okay. um, on, yeah, on team Canada, team Canada basketball came to play in Ottawa. Um, right. And I went to see him play and he was super impressive. He was like 17 years old on the senior right. team. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, he's another, another player that 
um, that I like to follow as well. Uh, are, when you watched that game, when you saw RJ Barrett live, where did they play that game? <laughs> they played at a TD place. So not the most glamorous. Um, wow. But yeah, yeah, they played at Lando. They were playing, I want to say, like the U.S. Virgin Islands or something. It was not a very, you know, competitive match. Um, yeah. But but it was cool because, you know, uh, uh, Corey Joseph was there. Um, Olenek was there. So, you know, there was some NBA talent um, showing up to play in, in Ottawa, which doesn't happen uh, every so often, right? So. Definitely, definitely. Uh, was it a packed house? Was it sold out? What was what was the fan uh, support? Yeah, I think. I mean, it's not a it's not a huge stadium, so uh, from what I remember, it was it was pretty full. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, good, definitely good support for for the team, and um, you know, just I think excited to have, um, like I said, that like those quality players, quality players coming to, to Ottawa for the basketball fans in Ottawa. It's, you know, a nice treat when we can see that. Definitely. Definitely. We, yeah. A lot of, I'm sure like the way things are in the infrastructure of basketball, so many of these guys, unfortunately, when they get to 15, 16 years old, even they're on their way to the States playing in, you know, some Academy, some prep school in the States. So we don't get that opportunity to see them all the way through high school, like you did, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, was there any Ottawa kid? Is there, has there been a kid who's grown up here in the city or maybe even like the, you know, the capital national capital region within, you know, Ottawa or Gatineau who you've been able to see, or is RJ Barrett kind of that guy that uh, you've seen as a young kid? Yeah. Um, I do. <laughs> I do have a funny story for this one. Um okay. So I, <laughs> I played on, uh, I did like the, uh, the Carlton Ravens basketball camp, uh, a couple years, a couple summers. Okay. Um, and so this was probably, I think it was the last summer I did it. I was maybe 16. Um, and there's like this kid that shows up that's like 12 years old, which I don't even know if he was like eligible for the age cutoff for the week, but like this, this kid shows up and he's like incredible. Like yeah. he's his ball handling, he's hitting shots. He's, he's not even like that tall. I can't remember I'll tell you, but he's, he's not even that tall, like at 12 years old. Um, but just like, you know, he was like somewhat of a prodigy um, at, uh, um, at this camp. And so um, his name is uh, Olivier Hanlon. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. So he's from the uh, the Quebec side. But he's from Elmer. Yep, and yep. He, yeah, he, you know, went on to play um, college ball in, in the States. He was actually drafted um, by Utah um, and he's now playing in, in the Greek um, league. And actually at that camp, we were on the same three on three team. <laughs> so no we ended up winning the tournament. So that's my little like claim to fame in terms of, you know, proximity to, um, a drafted uh, player, but uh, yeah, he was uh, you know, super impressive. And, you know, even just at 12 years old, I was blown away um, right. by, by his skill and, you know, other, that's the only experience I have in terms of like playing with someone um, of that caliber. But I've also seen obviously Ottawa, you know, um, if you're a basketball fan, you know, our um, Carleton university team is somewhat of a dynasty um, when it comes to university basketball in, in Canada. And so um, I, I went to Carleton for my undergrad. And okay. at that point, there were, you know, some of the um, star players at the time was like Osvaldo Genti. He was also a coach at the uh, the, the Ravens camp. Um Aaron Dornacamp, um, who's still yeah. playing um, over in Europe. So saw them. And then, yeah, actually went, that was kind of like one generation of Carlton players. And then um, when I came back to Ottawa um, in like uh, 2013, which is again, when I was starting to get back into the wraps, um, they had a, a Carlton versus Syracuse game out at the Canadian yeah. Tire Center. Yeah, that I yeah. went to. So then I got to see kind of that new generation of Carlton players. So, you know, the Scrub Brothers were playing. And also, interestingly, on, on Syracuse, there was a Canadian, uh, Tyler Ennis, um, yeah. who also, you know, got drafted by um, 
are in the NBA and is now playing over in Europe. So definitely, you know, I take the chances when I can um, oh. in Ottawa to see, you know, um, see some of that high quality basketball and I've been able to see some, you know, so, some people that have made it, you know, to the, to that Europe level. Um, yeah. just by virtue of our, of our university teams here. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there was even, I don't know so much in the last few years, but like you go back seven, eight years ago and there was some really good uh, Gigi teams that pushed Carlton, mm -hmm. you know, if not in the regular season uh, when they got to that kind of elite, elite eight quarterfinal uh, national quarterfinal um, did against Syracuse, did they win that game Carlton? They almost won it. Uh, yeah, they. I think they were leading for mo for you know a good chunk of it, and it may have even gone to overtime. I'm trying to, but yeah, they had a really good showing. Right. Uh, the Ravens. I, I don't think they quite pulled it out, but it was. And like Syracuse, I think had done really well like the year prior. Um, I, they may have even made it to like the final four or something. Like they were they were a quality team, right? So. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was, I loved those like chances to see, you know, this um, Canadian university team that probably nobody's heard of in the States, like pushing these, you know, NCAA teams. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think it's validating for the, the quality of a play that we have, uh, yeah. have in the country too, right? Yeah. I mean, the Scrub Brothers, uh, I think it was last week, were part of the uh, early rounds of qualifying for the World Cup that's happening next year, I think. Um, so, you know, very talented guys, obviously making decent coin as well in, in Europe. Has Olivia uh, been part of the the national program at all? I think he, he was earlier on. I'm not sure kind of of late if he's, if he's been involved. Um, but I think, you know, it's a good point you make in terms of those early round qualifications and seeing like, I, what I find so interesting, right. Is like, obviously towards the end, as we saw in the uh, Olympic qualifying tournament yeah. earlier this year, you, you bring in the big guns, but you really yeah. rely on, you know, these other players to get you into positions that, you know, where you can bring those big guns in and actually make a difference. Right. So um, yeah, I think it's great that we can include in the program, some of these European players, right. And give them a chance to, um, to compete for the country and, um, and, and really help us um, get into position where we, where we can um, kind of rely on, on some of the um, NBA players to try and get us finally over that hump and hopefully to an Olympics. <laughs> seriously, seriously. Now, uh, if, if every Canadian who was in the NBA said, I'm in, sign me up to the next Olympic qualifying run, which likely won't happen, unfortunately. But if it did, let's just play the hypothetical. If it did, who, who's your starting five? Because every time I go through the list of players, I am always like debating for a quite a lengthy period of time, which I, you know, I should, I guess that shows my obsession for the game, but I'm always stuck with, you know, talent or positions or, but who, who do you got in, in your starting five? If you had to, if you had to pick it. Yeah, that, that's a tough question for sure. <laughs> um, I, I totally get where you're, <laughs> where you're coming from. And, you know, I, I think I, I am encouraged by the, you know, number of NBA players that are kind of signaling their commitment right. to the national team. And, you yeah. know, while we may not get everyone and obviously with our, you know, the Olympic qualifying this year, there were some injuries to um, Jamal Murray and, and Shea Gilgis Alexander, both of whom had had committed to, to playing mm -hmm. and then had to pull mm -hmm. out. So I think, you know, I'm encouraged by the fact that I actually think we will kind of have a, you know, quite a rich list of players to choose from a barring injury um, going into, um, into that. But it is a tough question. You know, I think, I think I'd say, you know, probably I'd have um, Murray um, 
Barrett and Wiggins were kind of core pieces of the uh, qualifying tournament that we played this year. Um, So I think I'd want, I want them in. Um, I think uh, I'd probably say Dwight Powell and maybe Ken Birch for the starters, but it's tough, right? Very tough. It's very tough. If Lou Dort was like four inches taller, I think he'd be a lock in uh, at the power four goal, but at like six, three, six, four, it's kind of hard to make a case yeah. for him. Uh, especially when the international game is way more physical, I, I find, than the NBA. Maybe that will change. Uh, the NBA will kind of find a balance between late 90s <laughs> basketball <laughs> and the current state of affairs. Um, is there is there anyone else that's kind of an honorable mention, like a sixth or oh. seventh? man on the team that you God, really so many. <laughs> I know there really is it's really an unbelievable time to be a Canadian basketball fan yeah like you know I think for sure like Shay Gilgis Alexander it's tough to leave him off of a starting team for yeah. Canada right yeah. similarly like yeah Lou Dort for his like defensive abilities is um also you know would be a huge asset Dylan Brooks like um yeah, so I think for sure there's there's a lot of honorable mentions and, you know, hopefully we can field like a, you know, a, a starting and, you know, bench roster that's predominantly NBA. Um, I think that'd be that'd be pretty, pretty amazing, a testament to how come we've how far we've come um, as a as a country in terms of our development of, of talent. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, usually I spend a little bit of time throughout the season. Uh, when it's not a Raptors game night, watching, you know, maybe a quarter or two of other teams in the league. And usually I pick like what's known as like a league pass team, even though I don't have league pass. I just will will pick a team that I want to follow. And this year uh, I've kind of been going back and forth between DeMar's Bulls and uh, the Timberwolves because the Timberwolves just have such a exciting brand of basketball right now with a lot of young guys uh but i find myself like overstretched because there's so many canadians out there and one guy i haven't i don't even think seen at all play i don't know if you've had the chance is joshua primo who's a rookie out of alabama who now plays for the spurs if demar had stayed in san antonio of course i'd be watching uh joshua more but uh is there a guy that you haven't seen that you really want to get a chance to see his game? Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's, yeah, I'd say maybe Brandon Clark. I haven't seen too much. Okay. Um, so he's probably one I'd want to take in a little bit more. That's the thing. There's just so many of them. It's, it's really hard to, to keep up. Um, but I think as you pointed out, there's now a couple teams that have like two or three Canadians Um yeah. on them so you know OKC with Dord and um Gilgos Alexander is you know um uh an interesting one and and Detroit has a number as well so yeah I think I I, I think when we were playing Detroit there was even a moment where there were like five Canadians on the court at one time which like was a record yeah. um so yeah I think it, it you know definitely trying to make sure you know watching Raptors games when they're playing those teams yeah. Um, but yeah, just trying to kind of keep tabs on them as, as best as you can too. But I wanted to ask you one other question specifically about Canadian basketball. We've been talking a lot about this on the pod this year. We've had a few guests. Uh, I was mentioning Lindsay Hamilton before we've asked her about this and another friend of, uh, of ours, Courtney Wright about a WNBA team coming to Canada, uh, specifically to Toronto, just because I think they're probably the best positioned to have a WNBA team. What would it mean to you to, to have a WNBA team uh, in Toronto, in Canada? Yeah. I mean, I just think it's, you know, a, a natural progression of uh, the sport in this country. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think it makes a, a lot of sense. I think there'd be a lot of support um, for the team in Toronto, but similar to the Raptors all over Canada. Um, you know, I, I was pleased to see Drake kind of calling out the lead yeah. to, to bring it. So I think it, when, you know, when you have someone like that pushing, you know, I actually think that um, 
you know, there, there's a realistic chance that that, you know, that could happen. And I think it would mean a lot for um, female players, female fans of the game. Um, and just, again, seeing the growth of, um, of the sport um, in our country. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's, uh, it's just the, the right step of progression, you know, within the franchise, within uh, the sport and the fan base. Obviously, uh, you know, for me as a, as a massive fan who has indoctrinated his child, his daughter, uh, with the Raptors. Uh, she also has an uncle in Zaya who uh, is also indoctrinating her. Um, and, you know, what an opportunity. I'm, as a kid, I remember dreaming of playing in the NBA uh, one day or maybe even seeing like friends of mine who I was playing at a high level actually played against Jamal McGlure uh, when he was uh, in high school before he went to Kentucky. And just like having that imagination uh, because there is a team in, in Toronto and, you know, how, how great that would be for her, for obviously female players in, in Canada to be able to dream like that. Um, and, and I think, you know, with, with where the landscape, the social landscape is in general with uh, women's sport, like it's just, it's just time. It's time we get what's been uh, deserved for, for you know, decades um, to have a, a WNBA team. Uh, but it is nice when folks like Drake <laughs> kind of get on Instagram and get on social media and are hanging out with WNBA players. That's pretty, you know, it's a, it shows the clout that, that Drake has and that we forget about because he's just this kid who grew up on Degrassi. Um, <laughs> Michelle, it's been uh, a real pleasure. I'm glad that you could join me on on the pod. I don't even know if Zaya knows uh, the guests that I'm having because he's traveling internationally right now and he's focused as he should be in the places that he's in. But it's been a real pleasure and uh, I hope we can do it again in the new year. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bryce. Mm -hmm.